Happy New Year and welcome back to History to Go, the Fort Bend History Association's monthly podcast. Our theme for the month of January is Texas as a Republic, the 10 years from 1836 to 1846, when Texas wasn't like a whole other country, it was a whole other country. Today, join Fort Bend Museum staff member Allison Harrell for a wild ride of a story featuring an author and potential spy who lived in Richmond, Texas for less than a year, and in the end, wasn't its biggest fan. Here's Allison to tell the story. Hello, this is Allison Harrell, and this month's theme is Texas as a Republic. This is the last of our chronological Texas themes as we've made it through the exploration, the colonization, and the revolution that made Texas into an independent nation. This small 10-year time span has many stories and many people that made Texas what it is today. People like Sam Houston, Marabobi Lamar, and Anson Jones. Each of these great men and past presidents of Texas will get videos about their lives and their policies. So for this podcast, I thought it would be really fun to talk about a story I only recently learned and that doesn't have a single one of these men in it. Now, there are two books that detail the history of Fort Bend County, both of which are helpfully called The History of Fort Bend County. We tell them apart by their authors and the year that they were written. One was written by A.J. Sowell in 1904, and the other one was written by Clarence Wharton in 1939. While both of these books have many problems, they also have stories that would have been lost to time if these men hadn't written them down. This is one of those stories, and because it happened so long ago, and is such a small footnote of history, there is very little I can do to verify the story or to even get more details of it. This is to say that a lot of this story is taken directly from Wharton's History of Fort Bend County, and he cites Dr. Ferris as the source of much of this story. Now, after an introduction like that, if you are still listening, buckle up, because this one's a bit strange. This is the story of the two Englishmen who lived in Richmond when Texas was a republic, and how they might have been working to overthrow Texas so that England could take the land. So, in 1838, the town of Richmond was founded by Handy and Lusk, and Morton Street was built. In the fall of that year, after apparently a very contentious sheriff's election, Wharton details that an interesting-looking Englishman arrived in town. He built a combination shop and house right next to Handy's house, because apparently he did know Handy, and Handy had invited him to come there, and he soon set up the shop with a display of guns and knives. He gave his name as James Rydell, or Riddle, R-I-D-D-E-L-L. Now, there's a bit more description of him, but overall, he appears to have been a very mysterious figure. Wharton makes a point to point out that he, you could look at him and think he was 40 or that he was 60. Um, I think he said his hair was graying, but basically he was just an everyday guy. Nothing really stood out about him, and he really kind of kept his story to himself. Wharton did say that Ferris could remember, even 60 years later, the great stories that James Rydell would tell about all the places he'd traveled and the things he'd seen and the stuff that he had done. So he was quite a storyteller, but not necessarily of his own background. Now, Rydell's gun shop became a gathering place for people and gossip. And when he would travel around to other cities in Texas, which he would do quite frequently, sometimes he would close the shop while he was gone, and sometimes he would leave the shop in the care of the people who routinely gathered there. The other notable thing about him is that he would frequently write long letters. Wharton refers to them as essays and send them back to England. 
He was very mysterious about this. He never mentioned who he was sending them to. He would just very frequently write very long letters and mail them off. Now, in February of 1840, another Englishman arrived in Richmond. This man was younger looking than the mysterious Rydell, and he gave his name as N. Doran Millard, M-I-L-L-A-R-D, and his profession was London barrister. Now, he immediately rented a room at Jane Long's boarding house, and he spent the first few days of his stay in Texas inside his room. Since he wasn't there to answer questions, the entire town of Richmond started to speculate about why he was there and what he brought with him. The chambermaid of the boarding house helped with the speculation by telling people that he had brought books and papers with him. When he finally did emerge from his room, he immediately struck up a friendship with the other Englishman in town, James Rydell. Now, this friendship was regarded as by many as sort of suspicious, or maybe not. So these two men from the same country ended up in the same town. It soon became obvious to many townsfolk that Millard knew Rydell. They knew each other from some previous time and location, but neither of them ever told anybody that they knew each other or where they knew each other from. Now, um, my favorite thing about those early rumors about Millard are the fact that um, because people didn't see him for those first few days, they but they knew he had books with him, the rumors went from he brought some books with him to he smuggled an entire library in his very small luggage. And I kind of love that. Now, Millard set about getting himself a job. He got himself admitted to the Richmond Bar, he proved his qualifications, and he also bought a small interest in the Richmond Telescope, which was the local newspaper at the time, and became an editor. Now, when he was asked what he was doing in Texas, he would provide a little bit more information. He had come to Texas because it had great climate. He would probably buy a plantation, settle down, practice law, and write a book. Of all of those things, the only one he actually did was write a book. Now, Millard never took a legal case. He only edited for about one hour every week, but he spent all of his time writing. If he wasn't at Rydell's gun shop, he was in his own room writing day and night. Townsfolk could see the light of his candle from the street. When he was questioned about what he was writing, Millard would tell people that he was just taking notes on various classic books. But if you asked Rydell, he would tell you that Millard was writing a novel about Texas for a London publishing house. Now, Millard traveled a little bit to Houston. He spent a week in Austin. And then suddenly in July, he declared that he'd been called home and had to leave immediately. He made some mention about perhaps receiving an inheritance or maybe he was gaining a title back in England. He was very mysterious about the situation, but the town decided to see him off in proper fashion. The Richmond Bar hosted a dinner to see him away. Dr. Ferris um, was at that dinner and actually he presided over the dinner and um, everyone had a good time. No one had anything bad to say about Millard and he said that he would remember everyone fondly and he was off. Now, in 1843, James Rydell, the mysterious gunsmith, left Richmond, which was very good timing, because in 1844, the book that N. Doran Millard had published about Texas was sent to Richmond. Specifically, it was sent to Dr. Ferris. The book had been published in 1842, about 
18 months after Millard had left Texas. And while Millard had assured everyone he would remember them fondly as he was leaving, upon reading his book, it becomes readily apparent that he did not think of Texas fondly. As Wharton put it, it was read by the entire population with explosions of wrath. Heritage Auction sold a copy of Millard's book in 2007, and in their small blurb about the book, they mentioned that Millard had some controversial opinions about Texas, and that these are reflected in the map included. It is the map that puts the Republic of Texas as the tiniest size yet seen in the maps of the period. Heritage Auction also points out that this is one of the few cases where the map might be more valuable than the book itself. Now, I bring up this fact because Wharton actually goes on to guess why Millard would write a scathing book denouncing all of Texas after living here for less than a year. And the answer is simple. Money. Mexico had a number of bonds that were held by the British that they could not pay. They proposed in 1837 that the bondholders could regain their money through land grants in areas of Texas, California, and New Mexico or that's what we call those areas now. When England recognized the Republic of Texas as a nation, this killed the plan to recoup the money through the land, because Texas had officially laid claim to that land that Mexico was offering. Wharton postulates that Millard was sent to Texas to write a series of articles about how horrible Texas was, and that these articles would turn the tide against Texas. Maybe Britain would rescind their recognition of the country of Texas, and the land could be claimed by these British bondholders. It also makes sense why he would include a very small map of the Republic of Texas, maybe excluding the areas that the country of Mexico had offered the bondholders. I will point out that the land offered by Mexico was along the Rio Grande, sort of um, off to the side. So not in like the bulk of Texas as it was settled, but in areas that had yet to actually be settled at the time. While Millard returned to Britain, instead of writing a series of articles, he wrote a plea to Parliament about how horrible Texas was. And then he published his quote unquote history shortly afterwards. This plan ultimately did not succeed. The British bondholders were left high and dry, and um, Britain remained in recognition of Texas as a country. But as sort of a one last hallmark of this era of history, we have Millard's book. Part of the reason that this podcast is delayed or has been delayed is that I really wanted to read all of Millard's book before doing this podcast so I could give a review of it. And I frankly have failed at that goal. This year, last year kind of got away from me, and this year's treating me pretty the same. So um, if you weed through Google far enough, you will discover that the history of the Republic of Texas by N. Doran Mallard is available for free on Google Books. If you notice, Wharton apparently wrote M-I-L-L-A-R-D, Millard, whereas the book is published under the name M-A-I-L-L-A-R-D, Mallard, which makes it a bit hard to find the book when you first go looking for it based on the author's name. Now, Mallard is absolutely an excellent wordsmith. He's a fantastic author. He writes in a way that you can visualize what's happening. You can see the essence of these people he's talking about. And it's fascinating to me because in all of my study of the history of Texas, 
we always just start with Texas, but Mallard doesn't. He starts with a little bit of the history of Mexico, a little bit about the area of Texas before Mexico became Mexico, and he spent a lot of time detailing the Mexican War for Independence. His writing about it is fascinating and is what first got me interested in doing the video about the Mexican War for Independence late last year. Now, um, while his writing gives you a sense for the characters involved, he even has recommendations of other authors who've written about the Mexican War for Independence and done a better job than he did. So if you want to read more, he provides options. Now, I made it all the way to page 31 in Mallard's book before I hit a snag. And ultimately, this snag is what threw me off and I couldn't finish it at this time. On page 31, Mallard writes, Austin returned to the United States where he died, leaving his son, Mr. Moses Austin, to complete the creation of a new world. And this one sentence threw me for a loop, and it called the entire book up until that point into question. Moses Austin is the one who set up um, the colonization of Texas originally, returned to the United States and died, and left the scheme to his son, Stephen Austin. And getting that one fact wrong really calls into question everything else that he wrote. How many other names did he get wrong? How many other relationships did he get wrong? What else could he be wrong about? What is true? It's very hard to know. Now, I wanted to include a few excerpts of Mallard's book, um, but I just grabbed the ones that Wharton deemed worthy of including in his own, mostly because you can tell from these quotes how much Mallard hates Texas. Um, I think some of these quotes might have been taken from um, Mallard's Plita uh, Parliament about not recognizing Texas as a republic, but um, either way, they're pretty great. So the first one is, Texas is and has been a land of murder, in which 650 bloody deeds have been committed in recent years, most of them the massacre of Indians. He goes on to say that Texas is a country filled with habitual liars, drunkards, blasphemers, slanderers, sanguinary gamesters, and cold-blooded assassins. The people are divided into four classes, despotic landowners, usefuls, contemptibles, and loafers. And if when hearing that you wonder, I wonder what of those four classes I fall into, Wharton did give a little bit more explanation. Apparently, despotic landowners is self-explanatory. Usefuls include storekeepers, overseers, any kind of white-collar job. Contemptibles would be the poor whites who work. And loafers, which was Millard, Mallard's um, least favorite of them, not that any of them appear to be a favorite, uh, Wharton wrote that the most evident class he found was the loafers who annoyed him very much. He couldn't go into a bar without a swarm of them following him in and willing to drink at his expense. So it sounds like he just doesn't like people that want free drinks, but I mean, who does? Now, um, Mallard went on to describe the women of Texas as having little neatness or cleanliness of person to attract the eye. He also complained about the boarding houses of Texas and how he couldn't find a feather bed, which that one fact um, sort of redeems him a little bit because Mary Austin Holly wrote many years earlier that for love or money, you couldn't find a feather bed in Texas. So this one fact might be one of the few that he got correct. Now, um, Another thing that the Heritage Auction site pointed out about Mallard is that he was a staunch um, 
he was staunchly against slavery. And Texas, from its very beginning, has always had slavery in it. So um, his view of Texas probably wasn't helped by the fact that Texas had slavery, um, even though it was illegal in Mexico well before Texas became independent. So that's another thing that Texas had against it, which makes Mallard's um, Mallard's statement from earlier that he was going to buy a plantation rather interesting considering how much of an abolitionist he was. So, um, yeah. I'm going to leave this podcast here. I encourage you to go to Google Books and read the free ebook of Mallard's book because it is a very fascinating perspective. Um, And he was writing this in the Republic of Texas in the 1840s, so while it was happening, which is very unusual. Many books we have about early Texas were written 50 to 60 years after the fact, so many people forgot many things. But remember to take everything he writes with a grain of sand, because it's a fair bet not a lot of what he wrote is true. So I hope you enjoyed my story of the two Englishmen who lived in Richmond, and I hope you join us next month when we start talking about cowboys. Whether you're a useful, contemptible, or loafer type of Texan, we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Fort Bend County and Texas history, join our community on Facebook and Instagram. Our pages include the Fort Bend History Association, Fort Bend Museum, George Ranch Historical Park, DeWalt Heritage Center, and Fort Bend Archaeological Society. For more information about the association and its educational programs in Fort Bend County, visit fbhistory.org.